And if you've been joining us um, through the weeks, um, you know that we've been talking about this fact that one person, one decision, one moment in time can have a lasting, even eternal impact on people's lives, on the world, as it unfolds, as it plays out. We've spent a lot of time looking together at a number of instances in God's Word where we have seen this to be true. You know, sometimes in our own lives, it's hard for us to see that. What are the ripples that my life is causing? What, what are, the, what are the, the significance and the influence and the impact of my life? Well, that can sometimes be hard to see, but as we've looked through, um, because we're in the moment, right? That's why it's hard to see. We're in the moment, and these ripples go out, sometimes beyond our lifetime into other lifetimes, but it starts with this moment of faithfulness, this decision based on truth, this, um, this following after Christ in the everyday moments of life, okay? But we've seen through Scripture a number of examples um, of, of ripples caused by one person, by one decision, by one moment in time, okay? Um, let's go back a little bit. Uh, we'll do this really quickly, okay? But week one, remember the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, right? Remember them? The, in Egypt, um, the Pharaoh had said, kill all the baby boys. Um, these midwives disobeyed Pharaoh because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, and they spared young Hebrew boys' lives. Two of those boys were Moses and Aaron, who, of course, we know God used later to liberate the Israelite people from Egypt. These midwives, their lives, their choice to fear God more than Pharaoh had this eternal consequence for the Israelite people, for people of faith everywhere, okay? Uh, week two and week three, um, week two is a prophet, Micaiah, remember him, where 400 prophets all said the same thing, yes, yes, go to war, God will be, give you the victory, and one spoke the truth, actually for the Lord, one, Micaiah spoke the truth, and then week three was the servant girl who told her master Naaman, who's uh, living with leprosy, where he could be healed. These two individuals, um, who spoke the truth when it needed to be spoken. And that word of truth impacted kings and leaders, okay? Um, week four was a priest. Remember the priest who found the scroll in the temple? Um, the nation had not been following God for generations, at least two generations. Um, nobody knew the book of the law. This priest found it, gave it to this young king, Josiah, eight years old. And um, they read it. They turned around um, generations of, of apathy and of that drift. We talked about the spiritual drift to get back on point, right? Last week, we talked about a young church leader by the name of Timothy, right? Where Paul is giving him um, the, the keys to this new church, this establishment of God's um, family on earth uh, in Jesus Christ. And uh, we see that Timothy's life is hugely impacted. What He is prepared for the job, which is immense, because of the faithful everyday living and faith that was passed on to him by his mother and his grandmother. Their influence influenced this young leader who then influenced the church at a very important time in its establishment and history, okay? Each and every one of these people, important, all part of God's plan in the world, okay? They might not have realized it at the time. We're looking back. It's easier to see things when you look back, right? But their lives, their decisions, the way they lived out their faith created waves, and these waves impacted the world and countless lives in ways that they couldn't even imagine. Some of them were kings and noblemen. Others were common laborers, servants. 
but each and every one of them used by God to change the world. And that's what this series, at its core, really is all about, realizing that your life, my life, can be used of God to create eternal change in people's lives and in the world. There's nothing different about our lives today than these stories that we're examining from the Scripture. We're living them in our context, in our culture, and in our time. But there is no difference in God's ability to use us to change the world today. Um, It was, I think it was Charles Dickens, right? His famous play, A Christmas Carol, right? Where Scrooge gets to see um, what life would be like if he wasn't around, right? The, The ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, right? And he gets this glimpse into life as it would have been or could have been if he wasn't here, if he didn't do this, or if he did do this, he could see those consequences. Well, we don't get an opportunity like um, Scrooge in Charles Dickens' uh, famous play to be able to see that so clearly, because we just live in this moment. We live in this life, and we can imagine what change God might be bringing about because of our actions, but we live in this moment, and we don't necessarily always see the impact, but we have it. So what I want to talk about as we wrap up the series this morning is how, how should we be living then, right? To be part of God's master plan, right? That can feel daunting. How do I, how does my life fit into God's master plan? How can I be sure I'm doing that? That's, that can be a daunting task. So how do we maximize our impact and how do we practically create ripples of change in the world. That's what we're going to talk about. And our theme verse, we've been talking about it through this theme verse um, all series long. We have it up on the screen, right? Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. We keep doing good. We persevere in faithful living. We don't give up. We trust that God is using us and our goodness, even our attempts at goodness, right, um, to change and accomplish, to change the world and accomplish his master plan that he is about orchestrating. We keep on doing good. We keep on trusting God to use our lives to fulfill his purposes, right? But how do we know for sure that we're doing the right thing? How do we know for sure that when we make this decision, it's part of God's master plan? How do we, in so much uncertainty and chaos that often comes up in life, how can we know what we're doing is the right thing? How can we make sure the decisions we're making are the right decisions? There's a lot of questions around this. And um, I want to take a look at a passage of scripture this morning, this morning that's filled with uncertainty and seeming chaos and a little bit of randomness. But through it, we can see how God is perfectly executing his plan to bring about the change that God has always intended. It's the book of Acts, okay? Acts chapter 16. Um, And uh, I'll start at verse 6, but it's, um, it's, it's the start of Paul's second missionary journey, okay? For those of you who may not know, Paul um, had it as his, his calling. He was called and his purpose and his 
plan was to um, spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the, to the nations, right? To go outside of Jerusalem, to go out to, the, to be this missionary going and planting churches and starting things. And, and from what we see in the scriptures, we, we know of three major distinct journeys that Paul went on. He's already been on one. This is the start of missionary journey number two. And um, it's just interesting to see how Paul goes about this work that God has called him to. So as I said, we're going to start um, here at verse 6. Okay, we'll see uh, Paul is with traveling with a few people. One is Silas. You'll hear the name Silas mentioned. Um, he was a, a church leader. He was part of the Jerusalem council, actually. So he's come. He's joined um, Paul on this quest. Also, uh, our dear brother Timothy, right? Remember from last week, young leader Timothy is joining Paul and Silas on this trip. And then also, as we read in the book, uh, the author of the book of Acts, uh, which you may not know, is Luke. This is kind of Luke 2. There's Luke 1 in the Bible. Acts is basically Luke 2. Luke is the author. And Luke is along on this this, um, this missionary journey as well. So here we are, this band of brothers going out to tell the world about Jesus, okay? Starting at verse 6. Uh, next, Paul and Silas traveled through the areas of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then, coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mycenae to the seaport of Troas. Okay, um, I'm going to stop here for a second because I have, I have a map. I don't know if any of you are geographically minded, but this might, it might really help you to see um, this, the journey here, right? So you see up at the top, you see the Bithynia, you see Mysnia. That's kind of the direction where Paul, Paul wants to go kind of more straight straight north there um, from Antioch area, right? The first kind of part is his first missionary journey. Now he's kind of continuing on, okay? So from the Antioch area, he wants to go up, but he's kind of going uh, to, the, to the left there um, to the area of Mycenae, and then they end up at Troas, which is right there, uh, this, this, this border town. So just gives you a little bit of an indication. Now, it's interesting to note, right, that twice the Holy Spirit stops them to go in the direction that they were intending to go, right? Um, what did that look like? How, how did, what did it look like, God's leading in that moment? How did Paul and his people know, right? Uh, was it like today? Was your visa denied uh, to get into that area? Were, were your supplies running low? Was there violence on the road and, and it just wasn't, the timing wasn't right? We, we don't know. We don't know, but we certainly see evidence that Paul is, uh, and his team are really believing that God is leading them. This is where they wanted to go, but God actually closed a couple of doors, closed a couple directions, and they ended up slightly different path, right? Off this way a little bit, okay? So this is important as we go along. So I just wanted to, to, um, to, to talk about that for a second. So let's, let's continue, right? We're in verse 9, okay? That night, they're in Troas, right? Um, that night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Okay, so again, I think uh, uh, another map, um, or you could go back. You can see where they go across. Um, oh, maybe this will be the next part, actually, where they go through Neapolis and where they, where they end up. But this vision that Paul has is another way of God's 
leading, right? This one's a bit more clear, right? Uh, Paul had this distinct vision. But again, you could ask, well, we, all, we know God speaks through dreams and visions. He has in the past. He still does today in many ways. But how do we know that? When is a dream just a dream? When is a vision a vision? When is it God speaking and leading? Well, again, we don't know, but we know very clearly that Paul and his team said, this is God directing us, and they followed immediately, okay? Um, so here, sorry, back to verse 11. Um, we boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and then the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. Okay, there, now I'm back on track with my slides. So this is where you can see um, on the map how Paul has gotten to where he is over um, in Philippi across that, uh, that bay there, okay? Um, and, and as I said, you can see evidence of God's leading this team, um, it may not be really clear to us, but it certainly seemed really clear to them that God was leading them and that this is where they ended up. It wasn't maybe originally where they thought they were going to be, but this is where they ended up. Um, Northern Greece, Philippi, etc. Okay? Um, let's keep reading, all right? Verse 13. So on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. And as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Okay, we're going to spend most of our time um, here, but I want us to understand what's happening because we, from Paul's first missionary journey, we see that Paul has a little bit of a modus operandi, right? He has a way of operating when he's going out to new places to spread the gospel. And typically, um, Paul's MO is he would go into a new city or a place and he'd scope it out, right? Uh, verse uh, 12, right? Stayed there for several days. Um, and then they went down to this riverbank. Well, there's a little bit of an anomaly here because typically Paul would go to um, a synagogue. He would go on the Sabbath to the, lo- the local Jewish synagogue to find a place where there was at least believers in Yahweh, the, you know, the, the God of Israel. And then he would start with this, hey, did you hear what happened in Jerusalem, you know, this Jesus, the Messiah has come. He's been uh, crucified. He's been raised to life, just as the scripture said. He offers us, you know, and then this was a starting point, okay? But it's interesting that um, Paul starts at a riverbank here in Philippi, and we can draw some assumptions from this. One would be that there probably was not a Jewish synagogue in Philippi at the time. Now, Jewish law said you needed at least 10 men in order to establish a synagogue, an actual synagogue. So we know that when they get to the riverbank, there's just a small group of faithful women. So this may indicate that in their First days in Philippi, they were searching. Where's the synagogue? Where are we going to go on the Sabbath to start telling people about Jesus? They couldn't find it, right? They could not find a synagogue. They could not find this group of believers. So they go to the next 
most logical place if there was a group of believers who did not have an official synagogue, where would they go to go through the, the ritualistic washings to meet for prayer? It would have been by the river. So Paul and his team head down there um, to the river and they find this group of women praying, right? Going through the Jewish prayers this group of women, faithful women down at the river. One of these women was Lydia from Thyatira. We know that she listened. She opened her heart to the message of Jesus. She and her household, many members of her household were baptized. And then she welcomes this team of, of men back to her house to stay with her, okay? Um, and the interesting thing about this is that this is therefore the first meeting place of the church in Philippi, right? The book of Philippians that we, that we get, that Paul writes back, this is the start of a church in Philippi, which is what God wanted to do from the very beginning. And you see all of the leading, you see all of the confusion and chaos. God, well, okay, what, what's happening? There's no, all this ends up, it's the start of the church in Philippi, okay? It's a pretty incredible story, right? There's a lot of things in there that we don't know. God's leading can be mysterious, okay? Um, unexpected things. But it's a piece of history that reflects life today, right? We have the same uncertainty sometimes. Is God asking me to do this? Is God calling me to do this? Is this the way I should go? What's the right decision in this moment? What should I be doing? How can we follow God's leading? Does the Holy Spirit close doors? Do you get a vision to go somewhere and do something? Is there no synagogue in the city? Um, you know, you go to a riverbank and you just find a few, a handful of women. What, what, what do you do? I thought God was calling me to, right? The same uncertainty follows into our lives today with these chain of events. But when you look at it through God's master plan, you can see how everything worked out. And the church in Philippi got its start because of all these things, right? I'm sure there was moments along this journey where Paul would have said, God, what are you doing? How are you leading? I thought this is what you wanted me to do. Why are you, why are you blocking this? Why are you blocking that? Why am I headed here? Why did you give me that vision? A man on a bank. Go, I can't find any faithful men in Macedonia. I just found a group of women. What are you doing? Should, is this the right thing? It was exactly the right thing, and it started the church in Philippi, okay? Um, we all want our lives to be used of God, and you know what? We're not Paul. Our lives, we're not called to be Paul. We're called to be us. God has put us in this place at this time for a purpose and for a reason, and it is up to us to follow God's leading, to be a part of God's master plan in our everyday Living, And I, I want us just to focus up um, as we close on um, some points that we can pull out of um, this passage about, I think, how Paul approaches his life and his mission and his purpose that we can apply to our lives as we live out our lives, maybe as a, as a, as a grid, so to speak, or as a guide, as guardrails to try to say, you know, am I, am I following along and is my life able to be used as part of God's master plan? Um, so these are a few things I want us to talk about. And really, it, it comes back to our theme verse, right? Galatians 6, 9. Don't give up doing good. Just keep doing good as you live out every day. Allow God to lead and direct, and God will produce a harvest if you don't give up, 
right? Paul didn't give up. He probably had lots of reason to give up as things didn't go his way, as he faced more uncertainty and question marks. But he kept doing good. He kept his eyes on what he felt God was calling him to do. And the church in Philippi got started. Okay, so let's look at some of these points, okay? And there um, are six of them. Um, it's following God's master plan. How, how do we do this? How do we, how do we do this? This is a big, big thing. Okay, first, Paul had a plan, okay? First thing, he had a plan. Paul had a plan. He knew his calling was to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ. Never changed. He knew the plan that God had called him to. He wanted to go to Asia and preach. Remember, he wanted to go straight north. Um, he wanted to go into Bithynia. But remember, twice he tried to do that, and twice he got deterred by the Holy Spirit. Paul had a plan. God had a slightly different one. But that's okay, because God can lead a moving servant. But when we're standing still, we can't be directed. We're just standing still. You know, Proverbs 16.9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Have you heard that one before? We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Our plans don't have to be perfect. They don't have to do anything but get us moving in somewhat the right direction, even, and then allow God to move us. You know, um, as a church... The staff, when we've gotten together on a number of occasions, we've discussed how what we love about this church is that we are not settling for where we currently are. We're not settling for what God has blessed us with now, but we're always asking what can we do to reach more people for Christ? What can we do to have more impact in our community, to have more influence in people's lives in Westmount and the London area? How can we do more. We have a plan in that. And you know what? Through leadership, through our staff, through our ministry heads, we try to move forward with a plan. We put a plan together, right? We want to create empty space so that people can join us. Um, Our one service is packed. Let's go to two services. That's going to be huge. And it has been huge this year, right? It's been a big change for us, but we did that because we're not content with where we are. We want God to keep leading us further into his plan, right? Oh, our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, we need more space. We want to change lives with every square foot. Well, you know, we we could exist in this building, but no, we believe God wants more for us, so let's build a building, right? Let's move forward with these things, right? So as a church, we do this, and in our lives, we must do this. Have a plan. Make a plan. And you know what? Do your best to think it all through. Make your plan as perfect as possible. I'm sure Paul did. He wasn't haphazard about this. But you have to just start moving. You have to start going and then allow God to make in-course directions, <laughs> redirections as you go, okay? But when we want to live our lives with maximum impact in God's plan, we have to have a plan, And we have to be moving. We have to step out in faith, right? John has often said before, you forfeit the risk, you forfeit the miracle, right? John said that many times from this pulpit before. Um, And it's true, right? You have to sometimes just step out in faith and trust God. Make your plans, move forward, and let God lead, okay? We cannot sit idle and expect to create ripples, okay? We cannot sit idle and expect our lives to create ripples. We must move and risk, and when we do... God will use us for impact, 
Okay? Secondly, Paul was persistent. Okay? As I mentioned, two times he tried to move straight north. Two times he was deterred. Paul could have seen these two attempts as failures. I tried. I tried even twice, but both times God said no. So I'm just going to go back. One missionary journey was enough, thanks. Two maybe is not in God's plans. There's enough work for me to do in these other places that I've planted churches. There's enough for me to do back there. I'm just going to stay content with that. Well, no, he's persistent. He doesn't give up. I'm going to keep heading in that direction, and God pushes him in a new direction. Okay? Um, He didn't turn back. He didn't give up. He kept on going. Our failures often limit us, but they shouldn't. They don't have to. We shouldn't fear failure because God doesn't. God doesn't fear that we will fail in our attempts to go to two services, to build a new building, or whatever it is in your life. God doesn't fear that you'll fail. He just says, you're moving. I can use that. That's worth celebrating. It doesn't matter. You know, let, let me be persistent in always reaching out for the purposes of Christ, right? Um, the Bible says that God works best in our weakness anyway, right? Don't fear failure. Don't fear God redirecting you and turning you around. Maybe a 180, but maybe it's a 45. Don't fear that. That's not failure. That's God leading and guiding and revealing to you his master plan. You know, um, the biggest fear that we should face in life is not failure, it's giving up. That's what we as believers should fear the most, of just giving up, right? And that's Galatians 6, 9. Don't give up. You have far more to lose by giving up than you do by failing, even if it's over and over and over again, okay? A number of years ago, I had the privilege of watching the baptism um, of a man uh, from the church that I was working with at the time who struggled greatly um, with alcoholism. He was an alcoholic. And uh, even after he came to faith, he prayed, he tried, he, you know, but he found it really difficult and he at times would slip back into his addiction and he would struggle. But he wanted to be baptized. He wanted to profess his faith. And it was this incredible testimony, this raw testimony of this man who, full of failures past and even failures present, admitted those and said, I am still struggling. I am fighting so hard to beat this addiction. And I... I'm trying, but I keep failing. But I want to be baptized today because I know one day I'm going to be through this, whether it's on this side of glory or, or on the glory side of glory, right? But I'm here to be baptized to say, to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And despite how many times I fail in my life and in my addictions, I will not give up. I will keep pursuing what God has for me. And that was such a powerful testimony to me. And hopefully it is to you as you realize that the greatest thing you should fear in life is the fear of giving up in faith. The fear that your life is insignificant because it's not. Push past, be persistent, let God use you. Um, Whether it's overcoming an addiction or simply living life to the fullest, our failures are not the worst thing that can happen to us. Giving up is Thirdly, um, he listened to God's leading, okay? Being persistent's great, uh, but sometimes you need to listen and be willing for a redirect, right? You need to be open to that. Um, is, it's Albert Einstein, right? His famous definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results, or, you know, or get, expecting different results, sorry, when you keep getting the same results, right? 
Persisting, you know, can be great, but if it's not getting us where we need to go, we need to be willing to listen to God and be willing to try things a little differently, a little bit to the left or to the right, okay? We need to listen for God's leading. Paul received this vision from a man from Macedonia calling them to come, give us, uh, teach us the word of God, right? He listened to God's prompting, and soon afterwards, his team was on a boat. They were gone, right, in northern Greece. Um, Paul and his team were open to a change in plans. Not a change in mission, but a change in plans, okay? Change in itinerary, I suppose you could call it, in order to follow God's leading. And we need to do the same thing. We need to listen for God's voice and God's leading. How do we do that? There's a number of different ways, but I'm just, I want to read to you um, a verse from 2 Timothy. Remember our dear friend Timothy? This is the second letter Paul wrote to him, 2 Timothy 3.16. You might have heard this one before. It says, all scripture... The word of God, right here, okay? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Do we want to hear God's voice? We need to listen to his word, okay? It's one of the main ways God will speak into our lives. Yes, through other people, through prayer, through all these other, through dreams and visions, maybe, right? But God will always speak truth to us through his word. He will always correct us and guide us and lead us through his word. Okay? We need to know God's word. We need to seek what he is saying through it in our lives. Are we open to listening to God? Fourth, Paul did his research, right? Remember, he arrived in Philippi. Um, He stayed there for a few days. He didn't just jump right into walking down the streets and telling people and whatever. He had a plan. He had a routine, he had a plan, he followed it. He observed the culture, he observed the people, he looked for the synagogue, he couldn't find the synagogue, it told him certain things about the city, he investigated this, he investigated that. They had an approach, they did their research. It's important to know what you're getting yourself into, right? Sometimes you're called to step out in faith blindly and just, here we go, right? That can sometimes be the case, but God never expects us to be unwise, He's given us wisdom, right? He never expects us to just jump into something without having done our research, talking to some people, getting some other opinions, doing a little bit of legwork before jumping in to a task. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, There's nothing unwise about that. We could save ourselves a lot of time and frustration and embarrassment in life if we did a bit more research, right? Um, guys, you know, we're infamous. Our gender is infamous for not following the instructions, assembly instructions on anything. Certainly Ikea. We will not follow Ikea instructions, right? But you spend hours and you get frustrated and embarrassed and then, oh, well, there's step three here. And you're like, ah, right? Um, We need to have, be willing to do some research, to do some work first, right? Um, I'm sure we've all had the experience where you walk into the wrong gender washroom, right? Just a little bit of research as you're walking in can save you a lot of embarrassment, right? Just look at the door, make a wise decision, and move forward, right? I I joke, right? But this is true in life. Do a little bit of research before before you head out. God wants you to follow and execute a plan that he's calling you to. But do a little research. Don't, you don't have to be willy-nilly. Paul's journey seems a little willy-nilly, but if you look at it, God is leading and guiding at every step. And I'm sure Paul's talking to his team through this. Hey, I had this vision. Guys, let's talk about it. I really think God's, you know, what should we do? 
Research, research, okay? Five, he remained flexible. I'm going to have to blow through this one, right? But as I said, there are many things being turned back from going north by the Holy Spirit. This vision of a Macedonian man, but he shows up in Macedonia. He can't find a believing Jewish man anywhere. He goes to the riverbank. He sees a small group of faithful women. And he's like, so why did God give me a dream of a man in Macedonia saying, come here? Like, there are a lot of things that if you were to really think about it, Paul could have turned back. He could have given up. He could have said, no, I has to follow this has to follow this plan. It was a man. I have to talk to a man in Macedonia. I have to, this is the way it has to work. You know, th- this is a single woman. Remember it said that they had to, after much urging, they went home uh, to Lydia's house. Th- this is, we don't have any mention of Lydia's husband. She could be widowed. She could be divorced, okay? But the single woman asks four men on a missionary journey back to her house. There was a lot of things that Paul and his team could have said, I don't know, God, this is really... A little bit suspect, huge question marks here, right? And I'm sure he thought through them all, but he remained flexible. He said, okay, God works in mysterious ways. I'm going to step out because I want to follow God's master plan, not my master plan. He steps out and remains flexible. And what happens? He establishes the church in Philippi. You know that? Have you read Philippians lately? Incredible book of scripture. We would not have it right? The ripple effect from this gave us the book of Philippians. Are we flexible when things don't go as planned, when they don't look as we expect them to look? Are we flexible enough to trust that God is still at work, even though we don't quite know how? Lastly, he left the results to God, okay? This is probably most important. Paul was faithful to act. God was faithful to produce. This is exactly the way that it should be in life, It's God's master plan for precisely that reason. It's the master's plan. We're blessed to be a part of it. We're called to be a part of it. But it is God who actually executes it and works it out. God is the one that produces the results. Our job, remain faithful. Galatians 6, 9, keep doing good. Don't give up. At the right time, God will produce a harvest. God's plan will be done and accomplished. Okay? Our job is not to create the ripples. Our job is to create that moment, to be that person, to speak that truth, to do that deed, to pray that prayer that is the moment of impact. The ripples and how that changes the world, that's God. That's God. Paul wanted to preach the good news of Jesus to those who had not heard it. He had a plan. He persisted in that plan He listened to God's leading as he went. He did his research. He remained flexible. And because of that, the church in Philippi began. Paul did not know what results his labor would produce. And I'm sure he had a lot of questions along the way. But he simply labored for the Lord and left the results to him. We're called to be faithful. The results are always up to God. So as a church... As individuals, let's remember Galatians 6, 9. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. For at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Your life is making waves. It is creating ripples that are impacting lives, that are impacting eternity. Especially if you are living your life following God's master plan, right? 
Loving God, loving others, changing the world. We do the loving God part. We do the loving others part. And we let God do the changing of the world part as we do the first two, right? We do what we're called to do faithfully without giving up with great perseverance. And we trust God with the results. Do you have a plan? Or are you sitting idle in faith Are you persisting in that plan? Or have you let your failures hold you back or tempt you to quit? Are you listening for God's leading? Or do you just think, I can figure it out on my own. I can do it. I'll push through. Have you done your research? Have you put in the work that faith requires? Are you flexible? Do you trust God even when things appear to be a little bit off? Do you still trust God in those moments? And most of all, are you willing to leave the results completely up to God? Not taking God's place, but simply remaining faithful and allowing him to execute his plan through you. As I said, maybe these questions, these things that we observe in Paul and his team, is maybe just a grid for us, something that will allow us to um, keep some checks and balances as we move forward following God's master plan. When we do this like Paul, you know, as we move along, we can just sit back. When we leave the results up to God, especially, we can just sit back and we can just watch God at work. We can sit back and watch him rise up in places that we never would have expected him to show up. Like in this group of small, a small group of faithful women who met for prayer to Yahweh on the side of a riverbank. And God used their faithfulness and Paul's faithfulness to establish a church and to carry it forward. Let's pray.